Hi there, and welcome to Vox Talk, your weekly review from the world of voiceover. I'm your host, Stephanie Cicerelli from Voices. Are you feeling overwhelmed, anxious, or alone working from home? Joining me today in the Voices studio is Allison Graham from Elevate Biz. Allison helps high-achieving leaders and their teams stop destructive stress patterns that cause overwhelm, to-do list anxiety, and suboptimal performance. Today, we'll be focusing on how freelance professionals working from home can protect their mental health and how to deal with rejection. Welcome to the show, Allison. Well, it's awesome to be here and awesome to be in your studio in this beautiful place at Voices.com. Oh my gosh, so great. And it, like, I'm just so happy to see you. Just You're you're one of the, the most positive people that I know, and especially just in this time where everyone's kind of figuring out what they're doing during the pandemic and getting back to a normal sense of what work is like and how to how to just be normal. Um, like, you're wonderful to to be here. So thank you. Uh, yeah. So Allison, obviously you, you have a, a long track record of working with companies, big and small, trying to help them to figure out how to do their work best. Uh, but you also happen to be someone who can relate to our audience because you do work alone. So this is perfect. Absolutely. And it, it, the, the challenge is before the pandemic, a lot of us worked alone, right? If you're a freelancer, that was our lives, but we had these other outlets right, where we could go after work, right, and, and go for a walk with some friends, or we could, you know, back then we might have gone to a restaurant or gone to the gym, and we had all these tools. And then, of course, with the pandemic, took those tools away. And I think for a lot of us, we're expecting now to, even you've said it, like to be back to normal. And we're looking to what was life before, and we're using that as our marker of what we expect life to be like today. And the truth is, the very notion of change and challenge is that what was is no longer. And so we can't bounce back. We actually cannot go back to the way things were because that no longer exists. And so our normal, like, I, you know, I often hear people say, like, when I get through this week, when I get through this project, when we get past COVID, when we get past this, then things will be normal. And I call it, if X, then Y thinking. And the problem with that is X rarely happens and X rarely creates Y. So how do you, like, whatever you're feeling right now is your normal. This is it. <laughs> this yeah, is your not normal. not going anywhere. <laughs> and we got to do the best that we possibly can. And that probably means new tools and not just new tools, but new ways of thinking. Bingo. I think that that's what it is. It's got to be a per, like a shift of your perspective of where your mind is at because so much of what goes on in your life is just dictated by your thoughts, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That mind in our head is, is fascinating. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Right? Like the, the storylines it can create, often negative if they default to negative. And so I used to really, really struggle with that. And not like if you want to try to make a day harder, go through your day and then call yourself an idiot to yourself. Mm -hmm. Say something derogatory about your looks, right? Um, you know, oh, I've screwed it up again. Like, you know, so many of us have this harsh inner critic, and it just makes everything we do harder. And so figuring out how can you stop that negative voice, it, for me at least, it was one of the most powerful things I ever did to help my mental health and my creativity and my business acumen, like all of it, it all stemmed from that inner voice that was so critical. 
And having a dog helps too, right? Oh my gosh. Well, hey, the dog and you've got a, a what do we call it? Pandemic puppy. Uh, yeah, golden retriever. Yes. So, you know, all laughing aside, because I know that a little light moment there in the midst of, of our conversation. Um, but, you know, from your perspective, Allison, uh, what are some of the main struggles that freelancers have working from home? I think it's the isolation. Like there's a different, you can be alone and not be lonely, Right. But when we're alone and then we start to feel the sense of loneliness and isolation and there's no way out and I feel boxed in, especially when you're trying to be creative or you're having to hustle for business, that can be very, very discouraging. And so really noticing your own patterns, I think it's hard to put everybody into a a box to say this is the struggle we're having. But if you know, there's a lot of fear mongering going on in the, you know, in the collective, right, around, you know, what's going to happen with our economy, what's happening with the pandemic, what's happening with wars. Like, if you're getting fixated on that stuff and you're on your own, that spiral towards negativity is a very, very um, <laughs> high-velocity, uh, deep-spinning spiral, <laughs> right? right? Like, it's it very easy to get sucked into that, especially when you're feeling vulnerable and isolated and you just don't have those tools to come out of it. Mm -hmm. And as you were talking about that, it got my mind, my wheels were turning about how um, our talent, our storytellers, and they are, for better or worse, they are chronicling what's happening right now through the work they do because they're reading newscasts, they're, um, you know, doing e-learning modules for how to be safe when you do this in this season and COVID, whatever. And, And there's a lot that just kind of, you know, they may not think about it, that it's affecting them. But I'm sure that because of just the heightened, like, how many of them are in broadcast? How many of you listening are, are you know, having to read out this stuff every day? And it must be affecting you in some way. Um, but just thinking about how um, the negativity can crop up and, and in ways that maybe you didn't expect it to, uh, like, you have got to have a way to handle that. So I'm glad that you're talking to us about how Today is today, and there is no going back to what we knew from before, but now we need new tools to cope with uh, what, what's happening here. So, uh, you know, what are some of those ways that we can preserve their mental health? My gosh, you just said so many pieces of little, little golden nugget. I'm like, okay, wait, I, yeah, this this is <laughs> because that negativity, like if you are someone who's broadcasting, if you're doing the reading or you know, having to go through these things, I think what society would tell you is, oh, just shut it down. Oh, just, you know, separate your emotion from it, right? Let it go. You know, the end of the workday. That's not how humans are made. That's not what we do. And so I'm going to challenge you after you're done reading that negative piece of news to sit with it for a minute. Build in some sort of a routine where you just go like, ugh, that really sucked. Instead of getting so busy, busy, busy and going on to the next project, right? And I know we want to get lots of projects. I mean, that's that's part of the freelance world. You need to be able to process. You have to give yourself the space and the grace to process the severity of what is going in and coming out of your mind and your mouth. And without that, your subconscious has got to figure out how to process it. And when you think about your emotions, they're energy in motion. We need to give them space, not try to shut them down. You know, I used to be such a, um, a gotta-go technique was what it was called by my doctor. He's <laughs> like, you don't like how it is over there, so you go over here and we get busy. And I think in when we're dealing with collective heaviness, 
if if you don't allow that space and grace, it's going to creep up on you somehow. And I remember earlier in the pandemic, uh, one of my clients, not typically a really negative person, just kind of got this edge about him. And he's like, you know what? I'm taking it out on my family, my staff. I'm resenting them. I'm I'm just in this loop. And as we started to explore what was happening, turned out he had the news channel on 24-7. Like, and I'm not, like, that's not just a, you know, a saying. He went to bed with it. He was, it was on his, you know, when he was walking to work, it was on his iPod, like when he was, not iPod, AirPod, sorry. Uh, he was just consumed dinner table. It was on in the background. And as we started to look at it, I'm like, how can you expect yourself to be your, you know, a positive, optimistic outlook when you're constantly being bombarded with the negative news story? So we need to manage our our level of input. What are we putting into our our psyche, because it can definitely impact our mental health. Oh, for sure it does. And you use the news and podcasts and just media that is everywhere. And even before the pandemic, this existed. Like yes. there was there was always been something to think about or talk about or, or you know, some uh, something going on. And it's really easy to get sucked into that sort of thing. And for talent in particular, as you're reading this and, and you mentioned, well, you know, something could seep in and in, in ways that you didn't expect or get you later. Uh, just thinking about that tone of voice or an attitude or, or a perspective or perception of something bleeding into your reads in ways you didn't expect. And I think that that for someone who's listening right now could be very interesting to think about because Maybe you're not booking jobs because you sound like you're disinterested or you don't like what you're reading, but you don't know that, you know, unless you've got a coach listening back or something like that, right? Um, but attitude is is important because it does inform kind of what's going on. And like whatever's in your heart is going to come out your mouth, right? Yes. So <laughs> that's kind of like from out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you got to be really careful about what it is that you're putting in to your body, into your mind, especially. Um, and it could be anything like I'm just thinking about the world of media. I know you're very familiar with this world, but it's everything from art to books to movies to music to podcasts to uh, the printed, you know, news media. And it's everywhere. And it's like you have to find a way to make sure that you are it's like when you're trying to be fit. You're, you're like staying away from the potato chips. You're staying away from the things that give you like, you know, acid reflux. <laughs> you you yeah. want to not have those things because you know what happens to you if they come into your system. So in the same way, it's, it's almost like we need to approach the media that we are consuming and the voices we're listening to. You know, we have to be judicious and, and discerning with what we're allowing into, into our lives because it will come out and, and it does do damage. It does. And I think you're so bang on when you say you've got to become aware of it. Self-awareness in my problem-solving framework, which is three parts, it's the second part and it's the most powerful. And so self-awareness, the challenge with it is we can very quickly go into judgment. And that will absolutely show through everything you do, especially in your voice. And so if you are getting like beating yourself up and, and really just, oh, I lost that gig, I'm going to encourage you to adopt an attitude of compassionate curiosity. Hmm. What's that? Okay. Compassionate curiosity is instead of self-judgment, you go, you get very curious about your patterns. Hmm. Isn't that interesting that I did that? 
Wonder why I didn't, okay, what could I do better next time? Having a growth mindset where you're looking at the process and trying to learn from it instead of the, I lost it, I must suck, right? Like I'm going to the garden to eat some worms, you know? (laughs) Nobody likes me, right? And especially in our creative, and everybody's been through this before where you're like, maybe you're booking a lot and you've got this momentum and there's like an energy about you and it's like, you can do no wrong. And then maybe something happens and you don't get booked. And then you go, oh, maybe I do suck. Oh, see, I so self-sabotage comes into yes. the mind, right? And then we start like, oh, I got another one. I didn't get it. Then I didn't get another one. And then I didn't get another one. And then all of a sudden, you're in this downward spiral. And you're looking at that. And with every audition, you're more discouraged. Because we're, we're, we're tying our identity to the outcome, right? I got it or I didn't, as opposed to maybe I just wasn't the right person. Mm-hmm. Right, like, and maybe, and I, I was telling you before we came on the on air, I, I had to choose a voice for a video just recently, and the company was producing shared with us six, and I got to tell you, every one of them had in their own right incredible. I could have chosen every one, but we needed one voice. And so that doesn't mean that you know Bruce who got it or whoever's name it was didn't mean that Bill should you know never try to audition for a voice acting job again, right? <laughs> no, no, I would hope not. Right? But isn't that how we feel mm-hmm. when we get discouraged or or, or we're rejected? Yeah, like shut down yeah. and feeling like, well, I can do no right, it yes. seems. And um, just out of curiosity, because you did bring this up, what was it that made, we'll call him Bruce, yeah. what was it that made Bruce the right talent? Like if they were all equally good, yeah. like how was it that you were able to come to a conclusion that this person instead of those people? Okay. Uh, one of the biggest things is the the content of the video is related to, uh, sorry, very serious topic, but like very random. Nobody will wonder why I'm doing this, but long story, but to supply chain. Mm. So we had to look at who our market was. We're going to be talking to people who are in um, very like transportation, trucking industry, uh, rail industry, uh, and also government and, you know, different stakeholders. And so we had to be sure that that voice wasn't going to be very foreign to them, right? So how they talk, it needed to be very um, assuring and yet strong, Right, like mm-hmm. strong and masculine sort of tone, right? Yeah. With some women in there too, who there was actually ended up between a man and a woman. Oh, okay. And so we had to we had to look, and it was just the authority level was different in mm-hmm. every one of them, and we ultimately went with the one that had the strongest authority. Right for so, the audience that for you wanted the audience, to it was to. all about the audience, and also with the animations that were in the video, who sort of felt like just a natural fit. Of if I were watching a cartoon, not that it was a cartoon, who would you think that that character mm. was playing? Like, oh. like who was the, how that character would have sounded? Yeah, yeah. Where, which voice would best fit that you that know character. animation? Yes. And so that was really it. And the I think the decision was made in less than ten minutes. Wow. Not bad. I'm sure there was some healthy kind of arguing for this voice over that voice, but then it would have ultimately come down to the one. And you do need to have that kind of working it, hashing it out because every one of those talent put forth a a great effort, I'm sure. Uh, But yeah, no, that's interesting. It isn't necessarily you 
It's who, you know, the audience is and how they are going to best relate to what you're saying. And and we have said this so many times, um, but, you know, people want to hear from people who are like them Mm -hmm. or that they relate to. um, So that's why you hear, you know, if you're trying to hit the certain demographic, you'll hear someone from that demographic generally being the voice or from an age group or from, you know, maybe it's an ad for, I don't know what it might be, but a festival. And and you want to have someone who sounds like they'd be going to the festival reading it to you. Um, So, yeah, I think that that's really interesting. But, yeah, that's the whole rejection piece is kind of like how do you not take it personally, right? Right. And actually, and as I I explore this a little bit further in my mind, I'm thinking because I have some friends who are are voice actors and and who do commercials and things like that. And I, I, I imagine their day of auditioning, putting out the numbers, hoping they get something back. And it's such a personal process. Then I imagine the rushed heavy, heavy deadline, and it was only two of us making this decision, and we're very aligned, and we can work very, very quickly. So when I say 10 minutes, please don't think we undersold that. It probably would have taken somebody else two hours to get Mm -hmm. through the conversation we had at a very high rate of speed. (laughs) It was deadline. But um, not once did I consider what didn't bake into the conversation was, does this person need work today? Mm. right? Does this, not that I don't care about every one of them. I'm just saying that the, the, the personal feeling of being rejected is a very holistic, I'm a person, this is my business, this is what I'm trying to deal with, as opposed to the person who's buying, who is only thinking about this one minute and a half video that needs to be animated. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's not, they're not rejecting you. Mm-hmm. As a human, no, they're rejecting that fit for that voice. And at any other video, and we might need to do more, we might actually need a different voice. Right. Right? So it's just that feeling. But again, people will say, you know, platitudes, oh, don't take it personally. Well, you're probably going to take it personally, but it's not, <laughs> not right? Like, then we got to get compassionately curious about why you're taking it personally, and what do you believe that that rejection says about you? Mm, the what it says about you piece is probably the most important, right? Right, <clears throat> because it probably actually doesn't say that about you. No. <laughs> probably this is the reality of that situation. Indeed it is. Oh, my goodness. I love that compassionate curiosity just to, you know, just talk through, well, why did this happen? And and not dwelling on it. I'm sure there's an end to the compassionate curiosity, oh, right? Sure. Okay, Absolutely. <laughs> and, and not uh, perseverating would be the word I would use on that, like just going round and round and round. It's, it's very much about when you notice yourself giving yourself that hard time, using absolutes. I remember I was coaching a client and she came into the meeting and she said, Allison, she said, here's the deal. I'm awful at being a mom. I'm awful at HR. I'm awful at sales. Like, I mean, obviously over the course of two hours, at the very end, closing, I said, look, can you just make me a cheat sheet? (laughs) And she said, about what? I said, everything you're awful at. And she looked at me like, well, aren't you mean? And I'm like, no, no, no. You have told me that you are awful at about 20 different things in the course of two hours. And she goes, no, I didn't. She didn't even know. She was pulling that language about herself. And so I said, listen, I want you to write the word awful on top of your day timer. She still uses, you know, pen and paper. And every time you say the word awful in your mind or to somebody else about yourself, I want you to write a little tick. And within 48 hours, she was like, 
oh, wow, I do say that a lot. Mm. And then we can work at changing that. So the compassionate curiosity is, oh, do I do that? And now how can I fix it? When do I do it? Not like, oh, there, I did it again. I suck. (laughs) Yes, yes. That's where we go into judgment. Mm -hmm. So you just play with it. Oh, my goodness. So much for us to even just think about. I really hope everyone here is taking notes or at least plans to listen to this episode a couple times because I know I probably (laughs) will. Uh, But, you know, there's just so much going on. And for talent who are auditioning every day, day in, day out, it's it's it can be a grind if you see it that way. But one way to kind of lessen that is to audition for only those jobs you actually believe you're going to book. You have like an ability to book. Don't just throw yourself out for anything because then you're putting yourself up for more rejection that you don't need. You know, like I'm sure that when someone has a clear focused goal or an idea of what they're really good at and they spend their energy in those areas, they're going to see a better result. Oh, my gosh. And that's where you can get so compassionately curious, right, about where are my talents best serving and no judgment. I don't belong over there. I belong here. And it's not because you need to protect yourself from rejection that I don't think you should audition for everything. It's because you want to be as efficient and effective with every task that you do in a day. You don't want to be wasting your time because the energy wasted on an audition that you don't think you're going to be able to get, and that could impact your mental health and that feeling of rejection, would be better spent on doing a better job auditioning for the one that you actually believe is aligned for your skills and talent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think someone out there needed to hear that today. I'm pretty sure. And maybe it's maybe it's you. Um, but, you know, just audition only for those things that you actually feel drawn to, that you have um, some personal reason, perhaps, for doing, uh, you know, because that strengthens the case for why you be the best candidate. Because as you were saying earlier, the fellow who booked that spot for, you know, trucking industry and transport, they sounded like they fit in. And that was kind of where his voice belonged, or at least the way he presented it in that read, right? Yes. So I think that's, we always tell people, just think like if your agent, if you have one, we're sending you out for something, would they send you for this? Because they only, at the end of the day, they, they want you to do well. They want to make money. They're in a business. You can't be inefficient in that way. So if you think either like an entrepreneur, you don't want to be inefficient, or if you have an agent, you can think, well, would my agent send me for this? Yes, no. Uh, then you would pretty much have your answer right away. You don't have to think very long and hard about this. It, don't just throw it at the wall because you want to see if it sticks. Like, you've got to at least know that you have some kind of a track record with success in this area. Otherwise, it's kind of a waste of your time, their time. And then maybe they won't listen to your audition the next time if, if you couldn't follow the instructions, if you weren't, you know, what they were looking for. So I think that's really interesting to think about this whole um, concept of compassionate curiosity and looking into things, but then solving the problem, which is what we all want to do. So, um, you know, obviously we talked a bit about how rejection isn't really about them rejecting you as a person. It's more about you might not have been the right person for the spot or your your tone of voice was different or, or maybe you reminded them of like someone who really annoys them and they don't want to listen to that voice. They don't want to think of that person as they hear you reading the copy, which could be used, you know, in a big branding exercise or a commercial or or whatever. And sometimes people joke, oh, well, whatever they had for lunch, you know, like yeah. maybe didn't agree with them. And so they just, they went another way. Um, but you, you have to be just 
just let it go. People will say, send it and forget it. You know, uh, I actually saw a comment on Twitter recently, and maybe this person is listening. I don't know. But they were talking about the whole idea of just sending it and forgetting it. And then like, you know, a month later, all of a sudden, this job that you forgot about that you didn't book pops up in your mind. You're like, whatever happened to that? Why didn't I get it? And then they feel awful. You know, it's like they go to that place, right? And it's like, well, just you don't have to go to that place. Not if you're listening to what Allison's saying today. And certainly, you know, I'm sure there are lots of other resources and ways you can you can learn that yourself too. Um, but just don't dwell on what you can't control. And it's interesting about uh, when you say the word control, because we so often are exactly that, like don't focus on what's outside of our control. And I, I look at it a little bit differently. So if you are in a situation where you're feeling overwhelmed and just write down what is within my control and what is not within my control, and then the stuff with that is not in your control, I don't want you to ignore it because that's not human nature. Instead, look at it, get compassionately curious about how am I feeling about what's not in my control so you can lean into it, so you can process it, and then move forward and do the activity that's in your control. And, you know, when I've had, because um, I'm a freelancer, I mean, I've been a business owner since like on my own when I was a columnist in the media and everything. Like, I think my first column ran in 2003. So I might be aging myself. <laughs> but <laughs> that has been a roller coaster ride of business, right? Sometimes are phenomenal. And I'm like, pinch myself, right? And is this happening? And then other times they're like, okay, what can I transfer so that bill doesn't bounce? You know, like it's yeah. just part of the process. And we also get freedom and we also get to do something that we love. And this is the life we've chosen. And so we have to do what is within our control of the actions to be choosing the right auditions, to be going forward and not wasting time on things that aren't going to work. Like that is something like having a system for how you apply. Are you doing the activity? When I lose a gig um, and I'm in the speaking industry, but when I lose out and I really wanted to serve an audience or speak at that conference, I'm like, okay, Allie, it's time to lean in and go find five other conferences where I can open up the conversation about me working with them. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You've always got to look for the next kind of opportunity, right? Yep. No, that's good. So um, I know that you use LinkedIn a lot because it's just, it's a great tool. I, I'm using it too, but you by far are using it better. Uh, and like, obviously it's it's great for, for you to get your message out about what you're doing. And it's a, a wonderful source of encouragement. I've actually watched a number of your videos and I'm like, oh, I feel better for having watched Allison today, you know, <laughs> like, because then you <laughs> think about things differently and, you know, different perspectives. And um, so obviously social media can be a great outlet to find community, to get support from people. Uh, and as I mentioned, like you're just really skilled in that area. Um, so could you just share maybe more about the personal side of how you're using LinkedIn or a social platform to communicate has actually helped you in your work? Okay. Where it's helped me more than my work is my mental health. So when we're creative people, we need to create. And if somebody is not hiring us to create, then we're perhaps not in flow, <laughs> 
right? Mm -hmm. So when the pandemic happened and we had our very first lockdown, I was like, oh, I know me because I'm compassionately curious with myself. I know this is not going to be good. (laughs) Like, this is not good. So I made three rules. Number one, no alcohol in the home uh, during the pandemic. Uh, And I love a good glass of wine, but I figured it wasn't going to be good for me. No ordering out because I knew my budget was going to get slashed with all the conferences getting canceled. And I just, I was just going to eat at home. And I'm going to create content every day. Because if I don't do that, that's the only thing that makes my heart sing when Mm -hmm. I'm feeling like the more I can, oh, it's not the only thing. There are lots of things that make my heart sing. But getting lost in content is really helpful for me. So if that resonates with you, then you need to create. And so I did, I think, 185 lockdown lift-ups, like like live lift-ups, where I just got on and riffed about a topic. And I think when we create for social for ourselves, we can serve the people who are like us, who need what we have. And so that felt very aligned and very authentic for me. It actually was very frustrating because it didn't produce any business. Mm. And not not directly, shall I say. Like the business started to come back, obviously, after COVID and whatnot. But I, it was more about serving my own mental health and then serving the people who I believed probably felt like I felt. And when you do that from that place, I think that's really helpful. The third thing, though, uh, around why I did the mental health or how I use and leverage LinkedIn is I actually don't do a lot of reading of comments on anything that is contentious to the point where I went on about five days ago before the recording of this and I started to look at a couple chains like there was something sort of neat, like somebody made a joke about something in a meme that was going around. And I was like, oh, enlighten me. I don't know what that, I don't know why that's wrong. Like I didn't understand. And so people were really thoughtful about how they commented to me. But then I went to look in the other comments and I was like, oh my gosh, this is problematic. Like people who are like, I disagree. And then people going, you're an idiot. Get off and using other words, by the way, on LinkedIn get off of online, go back into your hole and crawl and, you know, oh, yeah, like it's just rampant. What's within our control is what we consume. Mm -hmm. And so I went through that and I would see people who are normally really professional arguing about stuff on social media. On LinkedIn of all places, right? On LinkedIn where you're trying to protect Mm -hmm. your thing. And here's... So first of all, we control what we allow into ourselves. So after I noticed... Like, I was like, oh, wow, this is interesting. I'm going to play with it a little bit. I noticed my anxiety level physically, heart racing, you know, feeling agitated, mm-hmm. tense, increasing as I was going through and reading these things. And so people who are caught up in that, I'm going to guess, are probably feeling that level of anxiety and anxiousness and anger that's brewing based on these people who they don't know. And if somebody is like adamantly on a different side of a topic than you are, Mm -hmm. your clever post and, you know, well-crafted thought is not going to bring them to your side. Like it's just not going to work. And so with that in mind, when you notice that negativity, stop scrolling. Don't get involved. I have, at times, typed a response and deleted it. (laughs) Very, you know, that is, will protect longer. 
this brings up something that I think is plaguing our entire society, and it's misplaced emotion. People are stuffing down the feelings that really matter. Like, And I'm generalizing, so please I, just bear with me. We're really fearful about the world economy, about the wars, about, you know, inserts, world issue here. There's a collective heaviness. People have what I call coping fatigue, exhausted from having to continually be resilient, and they're just done. They don't have any bandwidth left emotionally, and so they're worried about this over here, but they're not processing it. They're not going through. They're not allowing the emotions, giving it the space and the grace to process it effectively. And so then they get this chance, whether it's online, some sort of a, a silly fight over a marketing meme, <laughs> and you know, then they just like lash out. Or they're in a store and, you know, they, this is the, they're out of your stock. Mm -hmm. And then so they lash out. And it really is so misplaced. Yeah. People's emotions are completely misplaced. They're not taking, you know, into account what might actually be going on or what might that person's day have been like when they posted or or I just don't even need to consume their content. If it's going to affect me in this way, then then I don't need to do that. Uh, be looking for uplifting content, you know, people who are positive forces in your life or just kind of, you know, helping you to see the good that is out there as opposed to dragging you down into the mud, which is not where any of us really should be. Um, but just like so many different ways to work through it. Um, having a personal, like a counselor of some kind is not a shameful thing to go get therapy. Mental health is, I think if anything we've learned over the pandemic is that people are now talking about mental health more than ever, right? So and there are so many resources. A lot of people who um, work in a company, they may have access to it through their benefits. Uh, but if even if you don't, that doesn't mean that you should not access those resources because they are crucial. And, you know, I made a, uh, a decision that when I go to sleep at night, I'm going to put on something really positive or educational in terms of personal and professional development. And so I fall asleep with uh, YouTube you know, positive ones like Impact Theory or other, other uh, you know, really cool podcasts that are helping to shape the mind. And I can go into and look at some of the really negative stuff. Mm. But I know how I feel differently when I, than when I'm choosing to protect my mind and, and pull it uh, forward. And, you know, like I, the reason I started doing this work was because I had, this was long before the pandemic, and I had had a surgery and things went wrong and they damaged two of my nerves. And it feels like still to this point, but like a serrated edge knife just going into my, um, into my body. And two years after the surgery, I was sitting in my neurologist's office at Mount Sinai Hospital and I was just a mess. Like I was done. I was in so much pain. And at that point, uh, a whole bunch, like I had um, six people in my life had died very suddenly. And I'd had eight major injuries. And so I was in this time of crisis in my life. And some of us go through those times where it just feels like the punches will not stop. And I remember sitting across from my doctor and he's like, look, you are going to have to reevaluate your expectations for your life. You are never going to work full-time again. 
You are never going to be off pain medication. And it's time we start talking about you going on disability. And through the desperation and through the tears, like I knew that giving up was not the answer. And as a business owner, freelancer, trying to get the gigs, it was all like, you know, in the speaking industry, it's when's the next conference, when's the next training, right? And I couldn't, like I had two to five hours of functionality a day. And that, he said, well, you're going to have to be resilient. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll figure that out. But it gave yeah. me just enough hope. And I figured out it's not just resilience. It's better problem solving for the human experience, which we don't have time to get into today. What, though that inspired in me, was this, this choice. Okay, if I have two to five hours of functionality, high-quality functionality, before my physical pain takes over my entire body and my mind becomes absolute mush, right, and I need to collapse, how am I going to spend that time. There was no time left for the drama. There was no time left for, uh, you know, at that time, social media, that was 2009 that I had that conversation with the doctor. But, you know, Twitter was rampant, right? Like there were definitely places where you could get caught and lost in that downward spiral. So I had to be very protective of what I put in my mind. I had to uh, go through the process of, of you know, a little bit more self-compassion because I was beating myself up as I talked about, you know, ages mm -hmm. ago, right in this conversation. But the there, there was this process of learning that was like, okay, if I do not want my difficult circumstances to define how I show up in my level of success, then I need to have better strategies. And to your point, the reason I brought up this story is because as part of that process, I ended up with a pain psychologist. And he and I saw each other for eight years, almost two to three times, or every two to three weeks, few gaps in there. But we went through this whole process in trying to redefine my life. Now, I was very blessed to be a part of that program. Program no longer exists. And it, it led me to believe that it is possible to change how our mind works and to have a stronger mental health and to interrupt the patterns that may be pulling us down. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Like, I, I've known over time just some of the things that you've gone through, but I didn't realize that that pain had been from that. So, I've, wow. But what is impressive is that you found a way with guidance from others and help along the way, of course, right, um, to, to say, I'm not going to let this limit me. I'm going to create, you know, like your your business. I know you've been in business for over 15 years doing what you're doing now. Um, similar story here with us at Voices, of course, <laughs> because we're, we have a certain vintage at this point, right? Um, so, but, you know, it's, it's just like you overcame those challenges. That's really, really inspirational. So thank you for sharing that. I, I think that's meaningful because no doubt there are people who are hearing this today who are in that very same spot yeah, we all go through these different times in our lives where it does feel like the punches will not stop coming. And I think that there's a lot of people who can relate to that, especially right now, because some people are out of work. Some people are unable to, to do things they normally would do because of restrictions of various kinds. Um, there's any number of, of times uh, that they're, they're probably feeling pretty desperate. But one of the great things about running your own business is that no one can tell you you can't work anymore and no one can say to you, you can't do that or, or like you can't pay yourself this or whatever. Like it's very liberating in that sense. And, and for those who are listening now, uh, especially those of you who are doing this full time, 
And by full time, I mean like, you know, voiceover is your main thing or you're an audio engineer all the time or like you're doing it all day. Uh, it, it really is like just amazing that you're able to do that. And and I'm like, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> just trying to say to you, like, you know, totally. that's so wonderful. And, and for those trying to make the transition to kind of get away from what they're doing to doing what they love full time, I'm sure that could do nothing but positive things for your mindset. And uh, yeah, and for me, like I have an autoimmune like um, thyroid issue. And so it's kind of like, well, some days you just don't feel like going to do this or that or, you know, or... But, you know, there's just different ways that our body tells us that too much has happened. You need to slow down. And for a lot of us, like it just it comes at a time probably when you've been pushing really, really hard for a long time. And it just it and you think, oh, am I burnt out? It's like, well, you need to slow down. And the pandemic, and I've heard some people say it's kind of given you a bit of um, I don't know if it's a bit of a gift in some ways for some of us, because it helps you to reassess where you're at and what you're doing and um, but just, yeah, just, I think part of this whole notion of burnout, and I just want to touch on this for a second. It isn't like, I don't know what your thoughts are on burnout, but from what I understand of it, it isn't necessarily that someone isn't loving what they do. Like no vacation can fix burnout from what I understand. Um, I've been following a lot of what Patrick Lencioni does. I don't know if you're familiar with Patrick Lencioni, but the table group and um, the working genius podcast and so on in any way, like, but something that they'll say is like burnout is actually because you are not using those skills and giftings that give you energy. You're using other things that are draining you. You're not working in your geniuses, so to speak. Um, so it doesn't matter how many vacations you take, how many days off, how many personal days, uh, you know, oh, well, I'm going to go do this. It'll make me feel better. But then you go back to doing whatever it is that you're in doing. And if it's not actually, if it's not that place where you feel that you're doing your best work or that you're appreciated or that you're really, um, you know, adding tremendous value, then you're going to feel like it's not worth it and why am I here? And then you'll bounce from job to job to job trying to find that thing that's going to help you feel better. But if you don't figure out what it is that you're really, really great at and how you work best in a team, how you work best by yourself, you know, like whatever your working frustrations are, they, they go through um, the working geniuses. Uh, then you have a working um, competency, kind of like you can do it, but it's not like your thing. You know, if you do too much of it, you'll start to get tired of it. And then there's the working frustration area. And I tell you, I could not do what Jeff does. I would pull my hair out. I would I would not even know what to do. It would not work. I couldn't do, frankly, like any of this engineering stuff. So I know the talent who are listening are kind of like, oh my gosh, like that's so me. I hate this part of my job, right? And you don't want to do it. And then there are people on that side who are more engineering who are like, oh, I really hate making characters. I just want to do these straight reads because it, like, I can't, I don't have that fun, but I love editing and I love doing this and that and finding. It's like, those are totally different. And then I think about the work that my husband does, what David does, and he just graduated from Harvard from the OPM program. And goodness gracious, I would never go and do that. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't. And he knows that. And, but you know, like, it's just, that's kind of where people thrive and what they do best, what gives them energy and joy is ultimately what is going to help you to get through and navigate these challenges and to feel like your work has value, right? Like, I'm like, I, I can't tell you the number of entrepreneurial programs I've turned down because I didn't feel that I was the right person to go with. Like, no, ask my husband. Do not ask me. I am not the one you want. I am the. I am not the technical founder. I like, do not ask me to speak on a panel about finance. Do not ask me to do these. And so when you find yourself constantly doing things that fill you up and make you feel good about what you're doing, then you're more than likely not going to find yourself dwelling in that pit 
where you're reading through all this garbage online and, and you're like, you don't have time for it because you've found other ways to, to spend that time more beneficially. But I think recognizing what our talents and our gifts and our skills and what makes us unique as people is a huge step in trying to overcome some of these challenges that we're talking about today. Exactly. And it's when you have, you have a team, you and David, incredible, right? You've created Voices.com and you can complement each other's skill sets. Some of us who are on our own as freelancers do not have the ability to edit or to give somebody else the editing, even if it drains us. So here's where I'm going to offer an idea. What if you recognize it, become self-aware, know where your zone of genius is, craft your days as much as you possibly can to include that as a bare minimum? So for example, my lockdown lift up became creating content and talking was something that lit me up. It didn't mean behind the scenes I didn't have to make the calls to the clients to try to get the conferences. I didn't have to do the, you know, apply to speak at this conference or, you know, reach out to this person, which drains me. That kind of stuff just drains me. However, if we do it and then we resent it or we worry about it or we procrastinate on it, I call these barriers to performance, or we judge ourselves on it or we get angry about it, all of those things, it makes it harder. So if there are pieces of your day that are out of your zone of genius, but you just have to get them done because either you don't have anybody to delegate them to or you can't hire somebody to delegate them, you need to be looking at them and get compassionately curious about how you're doing them and decide, am I doing this as effectively and efficiently as absolutely possible? And every time you complain about them, you are adding another layer of capacity-sucking energy <laughs> into your day. And so that, to me, is because there are pieces in my business that I do not like. I don't. I don't like dealing with money. I have a bookkeeper, but I still have to send her the stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I don't like doing the taxes, but I have an accountant who I can send it to, but I still have to put it together, right, and answer the questions. And every time that I spend resisting that I have to do that thing when inevitably I have to do that mm -hmm. thing, <laughs> yes. right, Yes. is capacity taken away from that, that limited resource each of us only has so much that we can think, we can feel, we can be, and we can do each and every day. And so we have to make choices around it. So those things that suck your energy, do them as fast as you can without any fanfare around them. And they will drain you less so you can get back to your zone of genius even faster. Yeah, that's exactly it. Because you can't eliminate those tasks, no, right? You can't I say, I don't want to go to that meeting. Some you people know. do. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, it's true. Um, but, you know, you have to, you can't get away from everything. You know, you can't outsource everything. Maybe certain aspects of it you can. But as you said, you still got to send the forms. You got to answer the questions. Again, not Auditions. For, oh, yeah, yeah. So imagine you hate auditions, mm -hmm. right? And every day that you have to do an audition, you go, oh, my God, I hate auditions. I got to go do auditions. Uh, your energy is going to be down. It's wasted, negative, spiraling mm -hmm. instead of just going to do the audition. Right. Oh, my gosh. So much, so much here. Lots of wisdom for everybody. My goodness, Allison, we are going to have to have you come back. Oh, my gosh. I just love talking about this. I will talk with you anytime. And, uh, you know, if people need resources, just email me. Allison at AllisonGraham.com. 
And I think uh, there are so many videos on YouTube that are underwatched. I think they have like, I won't even tell you how few. All the resources are there. If you want to, you know, other ideas on how do I stop complaining about those auditions, mm-hmm. right? Or whatever piece of the puzzle, go there and just eat it all up. It's there for you for free. That is awesome. And you have uh, so many resources. Uh, again, I will just reiterate that Allison is on LinkedIn and you can follow her there for all of the good stuff she posts and just kind of all these lives that you do. Sometimes I, I pop in and I watch them. It's fun. Um, but yeah, add so many resources out there. You don't have to spend a dime, just your time, really, you know, investing your time. So um, yes, Allison, thank you very much. And we'll look forward to having you back on again. Thank you. And that's the way we saw the world through the lens of voiceover this week. Thank you for joining me here today. And I want to give a very special thank you to Allison Graham, who is sitting right beside me here. I'm so happy about that. Um, And we will definitely be having her back. But if you love this episode, I want you to do something like proactive about it. Either follow what the instructions were of something you heard, some ideas, or actually let us know. Because there is nothing that we like to hear more than people saying that we found value because of what was shared on Vox Talk. So um, for everybody here at Voice, I'm Stephanie Cicerelli, the host of Vox Talk. Vox Talk is produced by Jeff Bremner. We will see you next week. 